called this sermon, and it's funny because, because you know, me, Jonathan, Pastor Ariel, and PG is preaching tomorrow morning, by the way. Pastor Gabby, the bishop of the house, he speak, he's sending us home. I can't wait for that. But it's funny because every camp usually, we, we kind of have different topics, but the Holy Spirit makes it one big topic. So, so Jonathan spoke night one on the power of an intercessor. How many guys enjoyed that? How many guys enjoyed that? And, and it's funny because an intercessor doesn't necessarily pray for himself, but he gives that prayer on behalf of someone else. He says, God, can you bless my brother? Can you bless my sister? Can you bless the people around me? And that is really a selfless type of prayer. It's almost like it's not my will, Lord, but your will be done in their lives. Last night, Pastor Ariel ripped the roof off. He spoke, he spoke about Mephibosheth. I know it's hard to say. Someone say Mephibosheth. It's really hard. Um, and, and isn't it funny how we talked about, uh, uh, he talked about Zeba going into the land of Lodomar. How many of you guys remember Lodomar? It's all these funny names, right? Bible's awesome. And, and, and it's funny because to, to go get people, you got to kind of give your will up. To, to be a seeker, a fisher of men, you got to put your plan on pause and put God's plan on play. And, and both those ideas align with tonight's talk. The title of my talk, I want you to write down, is Not My Will. Not My Will. That's an amazing statement. It's a dangerous statement. It's a dangerous prayer. Because you're literally saying, God, I'm submitted to you. I surrender to you. And I have this thing called a will. A will is, is everything you, like, you decide to do. Like, you will. Your will is what you kind of make every day, right? You, your will, you have free choice. Anybody have free choice? You decided to be here tonight. You decided to wear that outfit and put on those clothes. That's your will in action, right? And, and there's an important part in a believer's life when they say, not my will, but God, your will be done in me. Yeah. My first point tonight, my only point tonight, this is what everything's around tonight. If you miss this, you miss everything. Everything's wrapped around this idea that this, this world needs a church that believes in God and surrenders completely to God. This world, your schools, your family, people you know that don't love Jesus, you know what they need? They need a church that doesn't just believe in God. A lot of people just believe in God. A lot of people just say, hey, you believe in God, I believe in God. You believe in God, I believe in God. But they don't surrender to God. So it's kind of like you're, you're believing one thing, but your actions are something else. The world needs a church that's going to stand up this year. It's going to stand up and say, I don't just believe in God, but everything I do is what he wants me to do. That's a dangerous prayer. Man, I'll tell you, that's a dangerous Christian that says, I'm not just a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't just talk the talk. Come on, I'll walk the walk. Can I tell you what Jesus, Jesus made that prayer, not my will. Isn't that amazing? God sent his son to change the world. God sent his son with a mission into the world. God sent his son to do what none of us could do, and that's for pay for our sins once and for all. He sent Jesus with a mission, and Jesus is in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's with his three homies, right, his three trusted friends. He had 12 disciples, but he had three that were kind of with him everywhere. And he goes into the garden, and he knows what's about to come. He just did the Last Supper. It's the book of Matthew. He just did the Last Supper. Towards the end of the book of Matthew, you see they end off with the, the, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ. 
He's with his three closest friends. He goes into the garden of Gethsemane. And, and, and see, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. So he knows what's about to come. He knows that death is on its way. He knows that whips is on the way. He knows that a crown of thorns is on his way. He knows that mocking is on his way. Can you imagine being in a struggle knowing that you have the power to get yourself out that struggle? Can you imagine that? Like, I, like if you're in an annoying place, you have the power to just leave the room, right? It's something else to endure it, right? Like God told you to sit there and take the heat. God told you to sit there and endure the pain and endure the struggle. So Jesus is in the garden, and, and he makes a dangerous prayer. He makes a real prayer. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 says, Then when Jesus, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him his Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Love these names, right? He began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus, he, he, he senses that it's about to happen. The end is about to begin for him. And, and we know that it doesn't end with death, but it ends with resurrection. The story ends great, amen? But he's still about to endure some, some pain, some trials. And in verse 38, it says, he said to them, he said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. He said, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face, praying, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me. You ever prayed that prayer once? God, this, this depression is eating my life away. Lord, if you could just move it. Lord, this season in my life, I'm just going through death. I'm just going through sickness. Lord, everything's happening in my life. Lord, if you could just take this cup away from me. He's broken. He's, he's literally torn because he knows that what's coming isn't okay. And, and, and he's, not, he's not painting this picture that everything's supposed to be okay. I love Jesus because Jesus isn't always just happy. He isn't always just authoritative. He also shows a side of him that we need to show as a church. Man, there's some times that you need to cry and let it out. There's some times you need to just show that emotion because emotions... Emotions is what God gave you. It's when you take emotions over the top that you need to control them. Some of us need to show more emotions. So some of us need to show some less emotion. Come on, we weep with those who weep. We, we laugh with those. Jesus is going through a moment right now. In verse 39, he says, I'm going a little further. He fell on his face. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will. about to go through the worst thing ever but Lord if you don't take it away not my will but yours be done Lord my parents about to go through a divorce right now and I wish everything was okay Lord but but I know that I know that you're still good I know that you're still righteous. I know that you're still just. So, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I had him in my mind to be my husband. I trusted him. I gave him everything, and he broke my heart. But, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, because I know that there is a greater glory on its way. I understand that there is more coming my way. Although this pain and struggle is just for a moment, God, you have more for me, and it's worth it. Although... Troubled times are coming. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, through struggle and pain, believers shouldn't just believe in God, but surrender to that God completely. 
in pain and trials, not only in mountains, but in valleys. I'm talking about when, when life sucks, we shouldn't just believe in God, but we should trust in God. And we should surrender to him. Can I get an amen tonight? Amen. Not my will. Yours be done. In other words, I, I don't want to walk in a direction that God doesn't want me, want me to walk into. I don't want to be in an area that God doesn't want me to be in. Like, God's giving me this free will. He's giving me this choice, right? He says, here's your will. You can do whatever you want, but here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to talk. Here's how I want you to act. Here's how I want you to affect your peers, to affect your family. Here's how I want you to pray. This is how I want you to worship. This is how I want you to live. And you have this option, right? You have this option every day. Am I going to go to the things of God or am I going to run to the things of the world? My next point is this. Listen, your will gives you the privilege to obey. Your will allows you to choose obedience. When God gives you free will, you got an option. Is it going to be God or is it going to be money? Is it going to be God or is it going to be that struggle, that sin? And listen, obedience is an amazing thing, but how much more amazing is obedience when you get to choose it? When you get to every day say, God, I'm going to choose obedience. I'm going to choose to be righteous. I'm going to seek after you and strive to be holy. Your will gives you the privilege to obey. But the enemy wants to turn a privilege into a curse. The enemy wants to tell you and lie to you that free will is the worst thing God could have ever given you. Look at God. He gives you good things and he allows the bad things to lurk. Right? But God says things like, hey, resist, resist temptation and the enemy will flee. Be strong. Your will gives you the privilege to obey. Don't let the enemy trick your mind to, to, to say that God is, he, he's good, but he leaves you off. No, no, no. He wants you to choose obedience. Every day of your life, choose obedience and grow in him. Every day, choose obedience and grow in his presence. Every day, choose obedience. He we don't preach this often. Because we preach grace and we preach, we preach, you know, God loves you. He lo yeah, he loves you, but he's also holy and he's also calling you to walk in his light, to walk in his way. You have this thing called free will and you need to choose obedience. Your will gives you the privilege to obey. In other words, with God, with God giving you the option to obey, your future then depends on your ability to surrender. With God giving you the option to obey, your future hinges on your ability to surrender to God. See, some of us have, have discovered this power of free will. Some of us have, have, have discovered the power of free will, saying, say, God, I have this money, and I have my job, and, and God, I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to give you 10% of everything I own. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to submit it to you. And I, I believe there's some in here. I know some of you in here that God's been blessing you in a way you cannot explain, that God has been doing things in your life in a way you cannot even fathom. But it started with a life in principle. It started with a life of obedience. It started with a life of you saying, God, just take it anyway because it's yours. Some of you guys figured it out. The power of being obedient with your finances. Woo, you understood it young. Some of us need to jump on board with that. Because we think that God is, he wants a little bit of money. No, God wants 10%. He wants you to just love him and give like you love him. You, when you understand the secret that, that obedience is a privilege, that giving is a privilege. Some of you guys, understand, you've discovered this power with, 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 with serving. 
Some of you guys have been serving like crazy. You're just making your business to serve. I can't miss serve. I got to serve. I got to serve. I got to be in ministry. I got to serve. I got to be a part of people's lives. I got to be a part of people's destiny. Some of you guys have been giving your time to church, giving time to church. You see that God is multiplying in your life, that God is strengthening your relationships, that God is strengthening your heart towards people, that God is crippling your pride and raising up your humility, that God is giving you your purpose. Some of you guys figured that out already, that listen, I know I got time, but with my will, I'm going to give it to God. I know I got got money but with my will I'm gonna give it to God man you get dangerous when you say Lord not my will but your will be done in my life you don't have to obey you get the privilege to obey let's talk about the fall really quickly the first time mankind used their will in the wrong way let's look at that scenario because you and me, we're faced with that every day. It's going to be the things of the Lord. It's going to be the things that are just dangling in front of me. Empty things, right? Wells that I would just keep running to. You got to look at the first fall ever. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? In other words, did God really give you laws to abide by? He doesn't want you to have fun. No, no, no. He wants me to be blessed. He wants the best for me. Verse 2, the woman says to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But did God say, right, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden? You must not touch it or you will die? Because the enemy says, ready, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so serpent goes to Eve and says, Eve, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Here's the truth. When you eat from this fruit, you won't die. You'll just be like God. So he says, do this, right, because God didn't really mean it that way. And then he gives them a promise. You'll be like God. Right? My question to you is this. After they ate from the tree, did Adam and Eve turn into gods? Did Adam and Eve have the power to create? Did Adam and Eve, were they given all authority over heaven, over earth? So, so, so the, the enemy lied to them, right? I don't think the enemy lied to them. I think the enemies told them, listen, when you eat from this tree, you won't be like God. You'll be your own God. Following your own will. Following your own path. There's a path that Jesus has for me. There's a light and a purpose that God has for me. And every time you choose your own will, you are only following yourself. You are not surrendering to the God of the Bible, but you are creating your own path. You're creating your own future. Are you going to follow God or are you going to become your own God, doing anything you want? What is it going to be? I got to tell you, Christians believe the lie of the enemy. They believe it because they're believing in God and they're walking in their own will. They're believing in God and they're shaping their own life and destiny. They believe in God, but they're walking in disobedience to where God wants them. There's no two-way street. You can't believe in God and not surrender. It needs to be all together in the same place. I'd rather take one step in obedience instead of a thousand steps in my own will. Because what the Father has for me is much better than what I could do for myself. 
listen, your will, your will will lead you to chaos. Your will will lead you to destruction. On your own, your will will lead you to chains. Your will will lead you to brokenness. Your will will lead you to addiction. Your will will lead you to death. Your will will lead you to darkness. Your will will even lead you to hell. Your will will lead you to hell. Hell's a real place. Here's what a theologian said about hell. He says this. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven and describes it more more vividly. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. I mean, no one in the Bible talks more about hell than Jesus, right? He's literally saying, listen, there's my will, and then anyone who doesn't want what God wants for them, anyone who doesn't walk in the path that he has for them, there's another path that you walk in. I mean, if it's not me, it's not me. In other words, hell is a monument of your free will. So you got people walking, choosing to believe in God, and if you walk in your own free will, you're following the monument of your free will. In other words, you have a choice. Is it going to be God or is it going to be me leading myself to destruction? Hell is a monument of your free will. This is what God says to you today. If you want my will on earth in your life, I will sustain you. I'll bring you peace. I'll bring you presence. That's my promise to you. I will walk with you for all of your days. But if you walk in your own will, your path leads to a different place. A place that is apart from me. A place where your sins and your choices will be with you for eternity. A place where I am not. And guess what? You chose that place. What does that mean? That God doesn't send people to hell. God places you where your path leads you. My God doesn't send people to hell. Can I teach you something? God didn't create hell for humans. God created hell for the enemy and his devils and his demons. Hell was not created for you. But if you choose a life on earth to walk away from God, an eternity away from God, there's only one place. Only one place. God tells you today, listen, what is it going to be? I love you. I made you. I want to be with you forever and ever. I gave you this earth. You'll only be here for a moment. And I have this plan for you to reach more people, a plan to make you whole and healthy and happy, a plan that just leads you straight to me. And that, that path leads you to life. But what is it going to be? It's going to be my will or your will. You choose. The ball is in your court. This is your life. I've given you the gift of life and the gift of work. So what would you do with it? And here's the truth. The reality of hell should not discourage us, but it should motivate us. Because if all God asks for is loving him and surrendering to him, that's the only thing that qualifies me as citizen of heaven, eternity with God, is believing and walking in where he wants me to go, we should be encouraged tonight. Because he doesn't make it hard. God appeals to you. He says, he says, he says, what are you going to do with this life I've given you? What are you going to do? Are you going to walk in the purpose? Listen, and here's the thing. A lot of times we talk a lot, and I heard someone say this, and it stuck with me. It's like uh, we have these questions, right? Uh, am I going to go to church this Sunday? Mm, I don't know. Am I going to go to camp this year? Mm, I don't know. Am I going to go to church this Sunday? I don't, am I going to give to God? I don't know. 
you can't go to church. You are the church. Listen, we've learned as a church that the church is not a building because we meet at a high school on Sundays. The church is not four walls. The church is not a stage with lights. You are the church. Imagine asking yourself that. Is the church going to go to church today? I am the church. This is what I do. I believe in God and I surrender. This is what I do. I believe in God. I serve. I give. I worship. I pray. I surrender. I evangelize. I sign up. Put me anywhere you want me, God. Because not my will, but your will be done. Come on. Are we going to go to church this Sunday? What could it, are you the church or are you not? We are the church. God wants to move in us. God wants to use us. Wants to take us to another level. We love God. We love him enough to surrender our will. The reality of hell shouldn't discourage us, but it should motivate us. I love, come on, put, put verse 39. Jesus says, now, and going a little further, he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is about to go into an, a terrible place. He's about to go through the worst moments of his life. And I have a question for you tonight. What happens when God's will over your life leads you through pain? What happens when God's will for your life is going to lead you through some struggle? What happens when God's will for your life is going to feel like you're moving backwards? What happens when, 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 God, when God's will over your life feels like the story is over? But may I encourage you, listen, God's will is always best for you. You guys here tonight? God's will is always best for you. It's about a story. There's a story of an old man named Old Man Jenkins. Somebody say Old Man Jenkins. Old man Jenkins served in World War II, and he'd hang out at Daytona Beach every day. He'd sit on a porch, uh, I'm sorry, on his beach chair, on a dock, and, and he'd just be throwing bread, throwing bread. And, and I don't know about you, if you throw bread at a beach, what do you attract? Birds and pigeons. Come on, somebody. Right? And, and you know what he'd do? They, they, called, they, they literally called him crazy. They, they literally saw old man Jenkins, they called him crazy. You know why? He'd sit there. At the doctor's storm, he'd just be smiling at all the pigeons, throwing bread. You know what he'd be saying? He'd go, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, imagine hundreds of pigeons. Like, this, he was there every day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He looks crazy. He sounds crazy. But he's been through something. You want to know his story? He served in World War I as a pilot. He was on a plane with, with five or six other soldiers. His plane was hit. He landed in the middle of the ocean. Terrible accident. Some of them lost their lives. He's on there with three or four other guys on a life raft in the middle of the ocean. No one can talk to them. No one's looking for them. They thought they all died. They're on this life raft, dehydrating, hungry, counting the days to their death. Old man Jenkins is in that raft. And he's looking. 
and he's about to give up. Little by little, he's like, yo, I, I don't know how many more days we can go without water. And then one day, a pigeon lands on the rack with fruit on his mouth, grabs the pigeon. They kill the pigeon. They eat, they eat some of the pigeon. Y'all, they're on like, they're about to die. They eat the pigeon. They take the meat of the pigeon. And they begin to fish. They begin to fish. For the next month and a half with that one pigeon, they fed themselves. They survived because of that pigeon. So every day he goes to the beach and he throws bread. And he says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because a pigeon saved my life. Listen, God, God does not, listen to me, God does not cause massacres to happen. God does not cause destruction. God does not cause hurricanes and, and everything you see wrong with the world. God does not cause it. God allows it. Why does he allow it? Because God wants to do something through you. God leads you to a moment of pain and struggle because he knows you'll come out more appreciative after. You'll come out more, more thanking him after. You'll come out a better believer. You'll come out trusting him more. Because if he worked with you in the middle of your pain, if he worked with you in the middle of your struggle, come on, it takes a mature believer to say, God, I'm going to worship you when everything's good, and I'm going to still thank you when everything's going bad. I'm going to love you. Why? Because your will is always what's best for me. Even if you're leading me through trials, even if you're leading me through struggle and pain, God wants to do something through you. This year, a lot of our church family, we suffered death. Man, I feel like death hit our church. But man, the enemy doesn't win when death hits our church because God wants to do something through us. Man, if I lost a brother and you lost a brother you don't believe in Jesus, I can encourage you. I can hold your hand and say, listen, I lost my brother too, but God is still with me. I'm still dancing. I still have joy. I still have peace. Can I introduce you to the Holy Spirit who is my comfort? He's my power. He's my rock. He's my shield. He loves me. God wants to use your test to give you a testimony. He wants to use it. God doesn't create those things. God allows them to happen. You know, he says, listen, all things I'll work for your good. All things I'll work for your good. The good, the bad, and the ugly. God willings, if you're in a moment and you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it out. If you've never been to rock bottom, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Right? Because God allows it to happen. And here's the truth. God lets people fail you. God will even allow family to fail you. God would allow boyfriends to fail you. God would allow people to fail you to introduce you to the true Jesus that you actually need. You have those things. But you, what you really need is Jesus. What you really need is Jesus. God's will is always what's best for me. Even if he leads me through mountaintops and valleys of the shadow of death. We don't panic. We don't fear. We don't abandon the God that saved us. We trust him. And we get in that prayer closet and we say, Lord, remove this from me. But Lord, even if you don't move it from me, not my will, but your will be done. I think Paul gets pain. So Paul's a Christian killer. He got blinded. And then Ananias came 
I said, God sent me to you. You got healed. I said, well, this God is real. I've been killing Christians. This God is real. I'm going to serve him. Even the fact that God tells Ananias, listen, Saul of Tarsus, I have a purpose for him. I have something up for him. There's a purpose in his life. And, and even the point God looks at Ananias, he says, listen, I'm going to cause him to suffer for my name. I think Paul understands suffering. Paul, half his ministry, a good chunk of his ministry, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Paul knows struggle. Can, can I tell you, Paul understands the power of not my will. He understands it because he's been through some stuff, right? Let's, let's read the Bible, Philippians 1. This is Paul. He's saying, I eagerly accept and hope that I will no way be shame, ashamed. In other words, in everything I go through, if everything, anything I've gone through, I will not have any shame because I know that God is for me, right? I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Woo, he goes deeper. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart from this earth and to be with Jesus. But which is better? But it is more necessary for you, the church, that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. What is he saying? What is the message that he's trying to give you? He said, listen, if you kill me, I'll meet Jesus. If it doesn't kill me, I could be a testimony. There's no way I can lose. There's no way I can be defeated. There's no way the story ends wrong. Because I believe in a hope that is past this earth. I believe in a hope that is past the pain. Next time you're in rock bottom, you should say, devil, you better hope this kills me. You better kill me with this. You better hope this kills me. Because if you don't kill me, I'm a testimony. And if you kill me, I'll meet my Savior. You too. Not my will. Not my will. You better hope depression kills me. You better hope addiction kills me. Because if it doesn't, God is going to use it for his glory. God is going to use it because it's not my will. It's not my will. But your will be done. I love that door we had. I love that door we had. God leads you to a door. And sometimes we're scared to go through the door. Sometimes God doesn't show you the plan for your life because you'll run away. God doesn't give you every step because you're not God. You cannot handle it. That's why the Bible says the Bible is a lamp to your feet. So every step, he knows where to lead you. Sometimes we get to the door and we're scared to walk through the door. God, is he going to do it? Are you going to do it? Listen, if it's good, if it's bad, God's still going to get the glory. This world needs a church that believes in God and completely surrenders to him. It says, not my will, but your will be done. Let me give you some tips. How, how, how do I walk in this will? How do I do it? Number one, stay in the church. Y'all here tonight? Jesus came to build his kingdom. Jesus sent his disciples to build the kingdom. If you are a part of a church, you are a part of the kingdom. And God's plan for you is incomplete if you are bouncing in and out of his house. 
how can God work with you if you're departed from a body of believers? Can I tell you what a theologian says? He says, listen, like a branch that grows because of this connection to the tree, we thrive when we stay connected to the church. We thrive when we stay connected to the church. When you are the church, you don't contemplate going. When you are the church, you don't contemplate serving. When you're in the church, when you're the church, you don't hesitate to give. When you're the church, you say, listen, this is who I am. You want to walk in the will of God, stay in the church. Who, who commits to just go to church every week? That's crazy at that sound. Come on, anybody commit? I'm, I'm going to go to church every week. That's half of us. Let's try it again. How many guys commit? I'm going to church every single week. Stay in the church. Number two, how do I follow this will of God in my life? Number two, stay obedient. God did not create robots. God created humans. Some of us would rather it be robots, right? That we just always praise God and always choose church and always choose him, right? Don't make that to a beat because I'll rap. God in me. Stop it. <laughs> God didn't create you to be a robot. God gave you free will. He says, listen, I give you the privilege to be obedient. I give you the privilege to be obedient. I give you the honor to choose me. I give you the option to choose me. I'm better than those things you're running to. I'm better than that life you're looking after. I'm better than it. You know what? Hear me tonight. The Bible says, Bible said that God, he vomits those who are lukewarm. Meaning they go to that thing and then they go to God. As your pastor, I should never tell you this. I dare you to take a year into that thing that's killing you. If it doesn't kill you, and if it doesn't distort everything around you, you'll come to a place where you say, wait, God was so much better than this. And I don't, you don't have to walk down that path. Just look at the people around you that are in that path and say, I don't really want to end up like you. I want to end up somebody that is loving Jesus. I want to end up like some of the people in my church, some of the older folks, right? Some of the deacons, right, that are still serving, that their families are brought up in the church, right? This is what I actually want. This is what I really want. I want the will of God over my life. I don't want to choose those things no more. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose to be obedient. I'm going to choose that because these are all things that would eventually kill me. Your will will lead you to hell. If it was up to you, you can't save yourself. The funniest section in Barnes & Nobles is the self-help section. How can someone sick heal, them, heal themselves? How can someone hurting fix their own leg? When you're hurting, when you're broken, if you have a hole in your heart, you can't find that healing by yourself. You need to go to the God who made you. Say, God, I give it to you. Here's why I need help. Matthew 13, chapter 14, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. This is wild. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And guess what? And many walk through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the, word, word, the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. What does that mean? That majority are walking in their own direction. And the path to destruction is where everyone around you is walking. The path that leads to hell is where the majority is walking. But man, I don't mind being the faithful few. I don't mind being the faithful few that choose the straight and narrow. 
Use the straight and narrow. Walk down the straight and narrow. Because this life is short. And isn't it funny that a short time on earth deter determines your eternity? I think God made it easy for you. People in the, back in the day, they live 900, 800 years. You got a lot of time to mess up, man. <laughs> you got a lot of time to mess it up. Max, you'll live 80, 90, 100 years, right? Papa says your, your life on this earth is like, it's like a whiff, like, 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 like a breeze. Like it's here for a moment and gone in the next. It's like a mist. But the Bible says your life is like. And God gives you this time and he says, what is it going to be? Is it going to be me or is it going to be all of you? Number one, stay in the church. Number two, stay obedient. Number three, how do I, how do I stay? How do I, how do I keep my will in God? Number three, stay in love with Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus. Some of you guys are trying to build up a spiritual life without loving God. Listen, the Pharisees, they knew the Bible more than anyone. And Jesus walked right by them. In fact, they put Jesus on a cross. And they knew Bible. They could, they could quote scripture to you. They knew, the pro, they knew the prophets. They knew everything. You can't build a spiritual life and not build a love for Jesus. It has to grow together. The Bible should reveal why you should love God more. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Here's a command. Now remain in my love. Stay in love with Jesus. Has he done anything good in your life? Stay in love with Jesus. Come on, if all you need is Jesus, that's all you need, right? You just got to keep loving him. You just got to keep loving him. Can you take 30 seconds to tell God you love him? Come on, can you take 30 seconds? God, I love you. God, I love you. God, I love you. Thank you for helping me in my time of need. Lord, thank you for being there when man failed me. Lord, you stepped up to the plate in a mighty way. Lord, you saved me. You gave me a hope in the future. Lord, I go through pain, and yes, I go through struggle, but even if it kills me, God, I get to see you once and for all. I'm so tired of this long-distance relationship. Lord, I want to see you face to face every day of my life. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. That's how you stay faithful, by loving Jesus with all you got. That's how you stay faithful. A husband does not decide to cheat based on a ring. He decides to cheat based on his love. You got to keep on loving your wife. You got to keep on loving Jesus, and that will lead you to a life of faithfulness. That will lead you to a life of always saying, Lord, not my will, because you've been too good to me. You died for me. You gave me everything. You endured the whips. You endured the beating. You endured the spitting. Lord, you endured the cross, and you did it for me. And you did it for me. Stay in love with Jesus. Live a life of being thankful for Jesus. Because when you love him, you're thankful. When you love him, you're thankful. I love you, Lord, because of what you've done for me. And even if you never do anything else, even if my story ends tomorrow, if my story ends next week, Lord, if you take me from this earth, Lord, I see a greater glory. Because the pain and the struggle was worth it. Because it wasn't my will. Lord Jesus, it was your will. Luke 15 says this. It's a prodigal son. I love this story. It says, meanwhile, so, so there's a son. I think we preached it this week. 
son goes up to his dad, who's a king, so he's a prince. He says, Daddy, I want all my inheritance, meaning when you die, I'm supposed to get everything. I'm asking every, for everything now, meaning I don't care about you. You're technically dead to me. He takes the inheritance. He goes to an off-land country, and he's with his friends. He's with prostitutes. He's partying. He's drinking. He's throwing parties, and he's having the time of his life, right? He, he's walking in another way, right? And then here's what happens. He wastes all the money, right? He wastes everything. He ends up with a job at a farm, and he's so hungry. He can't, he can't afford to buy food. He ends up eating pig food, right? And then in the middle of him eating that pig food, he's like, oh, my God. I know my, 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 my dad is a king. My dad owns just this, this huge property. I'm better off being one of his servants, right? So he comes, he's like, he comes to his senses, and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to dad. I'm going to ask for forgiveness, right? I'm not even going to look him in the eyes. I'm going to just be like, dad, can you just make me a servant? Because a servant is better than how I'm living right now. A servant is better than how I'm living right now. This is verse 25, so we pick it up. Meanwhile, the older son was in the, in the field. I'm sorry. This is a little later. So, so, so he comes back home. The dad sees his son from afar, right? So it means his dad is looking for him. Listen, if you walked your own way, Jesus automatically began looking for you. If you chose your own will and became your own God, Jesus is automatically searching for the sheep that are lost. So while the son was on his way, the king sees him. Throws his robe off. Right? His first robe. He has another robe on. Throws it off. Puts on his running shoes, runs out of his car- his castle, runs down the long road. He's running to his son. He's running to his son. He meets his son. He gives him a hug. He gives him a kiss. He takes a second robe, puts it on his son. Takes a ring, gives him a ring. Right? Here's the thing. Here's a part of the story that people don't preach about. The, the prince that came back, right? He, there was another son that never left the castle. It was another son, right? So his brother left on to a faraway country. He would go get the king. And, and the son hears about all the celebrating going on, about, the son, about his brother that came back. And he's a little mad. Honestly, he's a little disturbed. And this is where we pick it up, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Man, somebody, somebody didn't invite me to my own party. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. That's what they said. Your brother has come back home, and your father killed the fattest calf. In other words, you're going to have some big steaks because he has him safe and sound. 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in the party. So his father went out. Where's my son? Now he pleaded with him. But he answered to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But yet you've never given me a young goat. I just read that twice. But when his son, but when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes home, you killed a fattened cat for him. And this is what the, this is what the king says. This is my son. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad. Here's why. Because this brothers of yours was dead and he is alive again. Listen to me. Was his son really dead? Was his son really dead? Did he die in another country? 
No, but when you're away from the Father, when you choose your own will, you die spiritually. You die. You die. So this whole Christianity thing is not about what's a sin and what's not a sin. It's not about what am I going to do today or what am I going to do tomorrow. It's not about these any things. It's about being dead and now I'm alive. It's about I was once lost and now I'm found. This whole thing is about I was once dead, but now I'm alive. And my father welcomes me back as if I never even heard him, as if I never even regretted him, as if I never even did anything bad to him. He welcomes me back with open arms every single time. Listen, seven times you fall down, God doesn't kick you down. God doesn't point at you and say, stay down. He says, listen, get right back up. Get right back up. If you fall, I'm walking with you. Let's keep going in this pathway. Let's keep moving. Keep going. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the Father. And it takes a real church to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not telling you this life's going to get easier after camp. I'm not telling you that you're just going to be on this spiritual wave for the rest of your life. You're going to go through pain, you're going to go through struggle. You're going to be in some rock bottom moments like Jesus was. But you got to understand that what comes after is only going to make you better. And if it doesn't kill you, and if it doesn't kill you, and if it doesn't kill you, God still gets the glory. God still gets the glory.